Sure. Uh, good to be back. Sure. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this chance just to gather together to, to sing praise to you, Lord, to, to see our family of faith. I'd to get close to you. We ask you now, Lord, as we're, we're listening for you to speak. Ask if you would do so, Lord. We love you. Amen. Amen. So a couple of things I just want to briefly, while I have your attention, uh, draw your attention to that are in the bulletin. First one is next Sunday at 7 o'clock, uh, a good old-fashioned children's Christmas program. Uh, we all love those. You remember those? We, we still do them. We do it at Rom Chapel uh, on the Sunday before Christmas. So it's next, thir- next Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, be plenty to laugh at, plenty to go wrong. Uh, and uh, <laughs> encourage the kids. So if you can, it'll be kids from Wednesday night, kids from their children's program as well uh, doing it. So uh, next Sunday night at 7 o'clock. In the afternoon next Sunday, uh, another opportunity for you. Uh, anybody have Christmas presents? Have you bought Christmas presents? Anybody here bought a Christmas present? Man, I'm glad I'm not on y'all's list. <laughs> okay, we got a couple people who bought some Christmas presents. Well, you need them wrapped. Most people prefer to have them wrapped. The, the, the kids from the, the youth ministry are going to be wrapping Christmas presents next Sunday from 10 to 2. Uh, so Michelle and I, we've been carrying around boxes of wrapping paper uh, every time we've moved, and we need to use that stuff up. So I would greatly appreciate it. If you would bring your gifts, they'll box them, they'll wrap them, they'll uh, put bows on them. And if you would like, if you feel blessed by it all, you can leave them a donation to help their raising money for the youth rally, uh, the trip they're going to take in January. So uh, they, we also have some chili there. If you'd like to be a part of it, not to not as a consumer, but as an as one who's contributing, uh, you can contact my wife Michelle. Uh, you can contact me. Information's in the bulletin, and I'll put you in touch with her. And she's kind of put, getting everything together. But have some chili there while you wait, uh, and it's certainly a way for the kids to connect with their church, for sure. Um, yeah, so it's it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. <clears throat> Today is the last of a uh, last Sunday for a series of messages that that we've that I titled um, "God Speaks." Uh, from the we've been looking at the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Minor in the sense that they're short, and everybody likes when they're trying to read through the Bible. We like the short books because they c- capture our attention. Uh, I don't know why we don't spend more time in the minor prophets than we do. Joel is one. Today we're going to look at. Um, that's. Well, it's difficult for Christmas, and I'll explain that in a moment. But we've seen God speak in these books. God has spoken visions. He's spoken dreams. He's spoken through foreigners. He's spoken through prophets, for sure. Through relationships, he's spoken. God has spoken to his people, the, 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 the tribe of Israel. He's, we've seen him speak to foreign nations, foreign kings, prophets. We've seen him speak to temple leaders, governors. And today we're going to see him speak to the whole nation of Judah. He's going to speak to the whole nation of Judah. This is a, a group that we haven't seen him speak to yet. And today, that's what we find in the book of Joel. Joel speaks from a standpoint of natural disaster. Uh, you'll kind of see, that's kind of the platform that he speaks from, uh, a recent natural disaster that has happened. I've had a, some difficulty with Joel this week. He and I have gone back and forth uh, because I can't help but think of anything in Scripture, really, this time of year that's not like baby Jesus. You know, 
uh, you know, that, that's what I think of. I'm naturally taken to the, the manger, you know, to the, the birth of the Messiah. That's where I'm... So I've tried this week to get Joel to Bethlehem, and it hadn't worked. <laughs> and so I finally... I just gave, I said, I'm going to quit trying. I'm going to let Joel be Joel. Uh, so today is not a Christmas season. There's not a Christmassy message in Joel. Our culture is very Christian. Even though we're not a Christian society, our, our culture is Christianized, right? We, we use the language of the, the Christian faith, right? Uh, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, all these things that, that Christian has brought upon our culture. But you couldn't say, just because we celebrate Jesus' birth does not make us a Christian, right? But a lot of people will be Christians during, during Christmas, right? Because a lot of people will think of themselves that way because they celebrate Christmas. Joel says, no, that's not the point. Joel says it again pretty loudly and pretty clearly. So while there's not a Christmassy message in Joel... There is very much an Advent message in Joel. Advent is a season of preparation, if you didn't know. So it's looking forward to the birth of the Messiah. It's a, it's a looking forward to not, not only the first birthday of Jesus, but, but a coming again of Jesus. The Advent of the risen Messiah. That's also looking forward to that. And I'll say that to that, Joel speaks loud and clear. To that, Joel is... He's screaming from the rooftop. So some background for Joel, just for real briefly. We don't have a whole lot of specifics, but we, we think he wrote around 500 B.C. to 350 B.C. It's like a 150-year gap there that we believe that he wrote. Um, he wrote to when priests and prophets were, the, were the, the leaders, not governors and not kings, right? Because the temple had been, this was after the exile of the Israelites. Go back into ancient history, right? The Jews had been exiled by the Persians, and they'd started to trickle back into Judah. And they had rebuilt the temple. They'd rebuilt the temple, and it's to that post-exile people that Joel is writing, is what we believe. He, the recent natural disaster that I spoke of was a locust plague storm that had come up. And they still occur today in that, in that part of the world. Uh, but locusts, not in the sense that, that you and I have, experience with, right? Not the ones that we tied on a string to let fly around in circles. Uh, that's what I did with them. But, but their locusts were more like grasshoppers that fly. More, very aggressive grasshoppers that fly. Um, so when they had swarms, they would literally swarm and eat the crops. Uh, we, this is the way Joel described it. Tell it to your children, and let your children tell their children, and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts left, the other locusts have eaten. So what he's describing here is like this, this pattern of, of, we've got a swarm of locusts, they, they ate everything, they laid their eggs, and then we've got another swarm of locusts that ate everything, laid their eggs, and then we've got another, you know, it's like a cycle of this, these things. It's kind of like those stink bugs that you can never get out of your house, you know, that just showed up. It's like the same kind of thing, that, that it just keeps coming back year after year after year. And you, yeah. It's like, but except these were different because they were in a, and we don't, we don't really understand, we don't appreciate this like they did back when Joel wrote this because we don't live in a, 
agronomy society. I don't know how you'd say that. But anyway, we don't live in a, in a farm-based culture anymore. Now, today, we're, we go to the store and get stuff. So, so to kind of to compare it for you, like think of no electricity and no fuel. How that would change our lives, right? It wouldn't take long for people to start to die because they couldn't get their medicine, because they couldn't get to a doctor. They couldn't get food. They're going to be hungry because you can't store it, and we have no way to communicate with each other. We have no money because all our money is digital in a bank somewhere in like bits and bars and we don't we, we have nothing, right? We're, we're, we're starving to death. We're dying. That's where they were. Because their next meal was literally on the plant outside. Their next meal was literally grazing outside. Not, not like we think of it, but literally it was right there. And tomorrow it was gone change everything. So the swarm was bad enough, but after the swarm came a drought. And he describes this drought in Joel chapter 1, starting at verse 10. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm tree, the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Life itself withers away with all the plants. Right? You can certainly see that. It's from this experience that they all had. They've they've been through this. It's from this that Joel speaks of an invasion that's coming. Of a day that's coming. That's even worse. A day that's coming of a real invasion, of real destruction. What Joel refers to as the day of the Lord. He refers to it again and again and again as the day of the Lord. Now there are all kinds of prophetical uses of the day of the Lord. And I'm, so, I'm, so we can go down a whole bunch of pigeon trails or cow trails with that. But I'm going to stick to one pretty relatable that we can all relate to here. He describes it in Joel chapter 2, verse 2 through 12. He says, A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. Before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry, with a noise like that of chariots. They leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire, consuming stubble, like a mountain army, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through the defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon and darken. And the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of His army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys His command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? 
Merry Christmas. <laughs> right? There's not much of a Christmas message, is it? I mean, that's like, wow, okay. I mean, it kind of takes you a moment to kind of process all that. Like, that's bad. And, and it's, it's, you see how he's, just, he's comparing what has happened, what they've already seen, and he's kind of using that, that, that image of, of these invading locusts to an invading army that's on its way, if not on it, is not already present. It's right here, verse 11, verse 12 is where the book changes. Verse 12, where the book kind of just takes a pivot and turns and, and kind of says, as bad as things are, as bad as things were, as bad as things are going to be, as bad as they are, there's still hope. There's still hope. Some of you need to hear that. As bad as things are right now, whatever's going on in your life, if you haven't turned on the news, don't. But if you have, you know that this world is a mess. We know that from our lives, our families, the things that are horrible, maybe your health, you know that things aren't, aren't good as they should be, as they could be. And in that, even there, there's hope. That's what he says in verse 12. Yet even now. Yet even, even as bad as it's going to be, even still, there's hope. Even in judgment, even in destruction, there's hope. Romans 14.10 says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with content? Why do you do the things you ought not to do? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We're all going to see the day of the Lord. Judgment's coming for all. For all. We don't know when, Mark 13 tells us. We don't know the day and the hour. Jesus doesn't know the day and the hour. The only one who knows the day and the hour is God the Father. But that day and hour is, is marked. And it's coming. Galatians 6, 7 and 9 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please flesh, from flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, Paul says, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So there is there is a day of judgment coming, but even still, yet even now, there's hope. Even though things aren't as they should be, there's hope. Judgment is real, but but salvation can be found no matter what the circumstance you're in. No matter what the circumstance you're in. As a matter of fact, when we think of salvation, this is what I want to talk about today. When we think of salvation, oftentimes, I don't know about you, I, I do, I have a good idea about you. Usually we want to be saved from something, right? We want to be saved from problems, frankly, right? We The whole idea with the foxhole prayer, right? We want to get out of whatever we're in that ain't good, we want to get out of it. We want, to be, we want to change our situation. But problems oftentimes aren't something to be saved from. Problems, I believe, as blessings, they're God's way of getting our attention. Getting us to turn around. That our problem is not our problem. Our problem is sin. And that's what salvation's about. We don't need to be saved from our problems. We need to be saved from sin. Sin is the thing that's 
holding us. But sin is the issue that's going on in the book of Joel. That that's the thing that God is judging them for. Sin. And God takes sin seriously. Seriously. So much so that it leads to our destruction. But let me ask you. This may be heavy today. How seriously do you take your sin? Like, like really, how seriously do you take it? Joel describes in verse 12 what taking sin seriously looks like. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. That's what taking sin seriously looks like to God. A broken heart. Repentance, you see, is a way to experience salvation. You know, oftentimes we, we, we kind of justify our sin. We say, hey, nobody's perfect. Right? Nobody's like, I'm just a sinner. You know, good enough. I'm a good person. Instead of saying, well, no one's perfect, trying to justify my sin, why don't I own my sin? That's what, that's what that passage says. Own your sin. Don't, don't excuse it. Don't explain it. Just own it. Flat out. As many of you know, last weekend I was able to be a part of a... Uh, uh, I went to serve in Sussex Correctional Institute with uh, a team of 30 guys. And we had 30 residents with us. So we're 60 men in the, plus the... the Correctional officers that were there for the weekend, and um, I was at a table with six um, residents. And uh, by the way, there were some folks there from from your neighborhood, so don't think this doesn't happen to everybody. Uh, but anyway, one guy sitting next to me was uh, 73. I believe he's 73 years old. He'd only been in prison for a, a year or two. Um, he had uh, lived a, a good life. He was someone who was well-respected in his community, had received awards from his community, from his employer, had retired with distinction, and yet he was in prison for something he had done years ago, and it finally caught up with him. But, his, and it, but he didn't deny what he'd done. I mean, he said, you know, it was wrong, I had to be punished for it. I mean, I get it. But what his real prison was, with the hate that he had for his family. See, he, when he was in college, his family had abandoned him, left him to fend for himself. For, for the, so for the next 50 years, over 50 years, he had carried this hate for his family because they, they, they cut him off completely. So Saturday, uh, as we go through the, the day, maybe Friday, probably Friday, uh, as we're kind of going through the the day he, it's it's like he gets it. He he sees it. He he realizes what his sin was. Like for the whole time he's just been an angry guy for all this time, and now all of a sudden he understood what he was angry about, and he actually forgave his family, and it changed everything about him. It changed everything about him. It was literally a he was literally a different person. He was quiet and withdrawn. And then all of a sudden, man, we couldn't get him to stop talking. I mean, it was like, stop, let somebody else talk, you know. It's like he had like found it, and he wanted to tell everybody. 
He was free in prison. He was free. Why? Psalm 51, 7 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise. That's what he found. That's what he found. He found a broken heart. He came to God with weeping and mourning. He wasn't fasting because he was eating a lot. <laughs> he was weeping and mourning. He found freedom. It was hope. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, as Paul wrote. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. You see, this is something God does. It's a movement of grace. It's a movement of grace in our lives. It's not a New Testament idea. It's not a Christmas idea. It's, it's a theme from the Bible from beginning to end. From the beginning to the end, it's, it's all throughout there. Joel talks a lot about it. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 28 in Joel. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, God says. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young women will see visions. Even on, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood red before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls the name, on the name of the Lord will be saved. From on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. That's how we find salvation. Repentance. Calling on God to, for, for forgiveness. It's a gift. It's called grace. But it's a gift that we have to receive. Also on the weekend were two Muslim men. Didn't expect them to stay the whole weekend. They came the first night, and, and knowing that our religion, especially uh, a little more uh, Christian religion, Christian the way we practice our faith, is offensive to Muslims. The way we sing, and the, the, all that. You're not supposed to do all that. So it's, we didn't expect them to stay, but they came back Friday morning, Saturday, and Sunday. They were there the whole weekend. They heard it all. They heard the, 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 the good news about Jesus, who Jesus was, his life, death, and resurrection. They heard all of it. They were treated with love and respect, compassion. Treated just like everybody else. No difference. They got your letters. They got, they got it all. They, got, they were treated just like everybody else. The response, though, is up to them. Just like your response is up to you. You can hear you can hear it all. You can you can be you can come to church your whole life. You still have to respond at some point to the grace that he offers you. It, it's not it's not a given. Just because we know Christmas doesn't mean we know we have experienced Jesus. Many of us have prayed the prayer, right? You came to the altar and, and surrendered your life to Jesus. Or you you were baptized, you went through confirmation and you, you declared your faith to be your own, and I'm not it's not any any longer my parents. But I want to, if that's you, if, if you responded like we all have to do, if you responded, then praise be to God. But I want us to look at our salvation, the salvation that you enjoy, I want you to look at it a little differently for just a moment. Verse 32, that last line. Who's going to be saved? 
Yeah, you prayed the prayer. Yes, you were baptized. Yes, you went through confirmation. Yes, you, someone else led you to Christ. Yes, yes, you did all those things and you experienced all those things. But it's not you. It's who the, who the Lord calls. It's Him. He's the one who saves. Your act of obedience didn't do it. You were, you were just partnering with he, what He was doing or what He is doing. Salvation is a gift of God at work in you. You didn't earn it. You don't keep it. It's not really yours. <laughs> that is saving love. That's saving love. So the question is, if, if it's not something you do or you could ever do to save, well, how do you respond to that? How, how, how do you respond to the saving love that God offers you? It's how we live our lives, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2 is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And, it, and in that, we, we begin to develop the character of Christ. That He at work in us develops a character of God in our lives that we live outwardly. Goodness, kindness, justice, peace, joy, love, forgiveness, generosity. All those things, the characteristics of God, begin to develop in us and we live in res- out those things. Saving love leads us to that. You met one guy on one side of me. The guy on the other side um, was a, was a Christian. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's a Christian. Uh, but, but he had taken a Nazarite vow when he was 14. Uh, Nazarite vows, think of John the Baptist, right? And that's kind of the way he lived his life. He, was, he, he, he said he was 35, but he probably, I mean, he, he looked like 25. Maybe that's the way he eats, right? Because he eats an Old Testament diet. No, no beef. He eats vegetables pretty much all the time. That's what he pretty much all he eats is vegetables. So, I mean, he's a good-looking, young-looking guy. Had hair really, really, really long. He hadn't cut it since he was 14 years old, and he's 35 or whatever. The funny part was that he's a barber. <laughs> His job in the prison is he's a barber. And he says, I'm pretty good at it, too. And so we talked a lot about that. That how the barber, right, is cutting hair. It, the guy who took a vow to never cut his own hair is cutting everybody else's hair. And he wrote me a letter this week and uh, got me to thinking and some of the things he said in the letter. The way he had looked at others, who he was cutting their hair, and he had taken a vow to never cut his because of his faith. How he kind of looked down on them. Because they didn't have his faith. They didn't believe like him. They weren't as serious about their love for God as he was. I said, you know what? Uh, you should be in my church. Because <laughs> we've got plenty of room for you. There's bun- We're all like that, man. We all look at others like, wow, they should really get that together. We should, man, I can't believe they do that. Can you believe it? I know I used to struggle with it, but they all shouldn't struggle. Like, I said, that's what we all do that. So we, we all live that. We, we point our finger at others like they should fix their problem, don't we? I mean, it's, it's not just me, is it? No, I don't think so. It's not just me. I think we all do that. Very, uh, very normal, I think. But it's sin all the same. Sinful behavior to look at others that way. And he said, he said, you know what? Now, when I go to work, he said, I make $21 a month cutting hair. That's all I make. So it was... 
I had plenty to fuss about. I'm not getting paid. I'm having to cut people's hair when they ought to be growing their hair out because that's what serious people who love God do. And he said, now I get $21 a month and I get people to come back two or three times a month, four times a month. And I get to, not only do I get to do something I'm really good at, but I get to tell them about Jesus. Changed his whole approach to his work, right? Realizing his sin. Changed, he, this is what he said. He said, I go to work completely different now. Because I, I understand my sin, I understand grace, or at least he's starting to. We all are, I hope. Changed his life. So my question to you is, how does your salvation transform your living on the outside? I don't mean out, I mean outside there. Like, like how does your salvation change the way you live in the real world? Like my barber friend. Joel goes on in chapter 3. To, to tell of, uh, to call out the, the nations around Judah. He calls them out, literally calls them out, taunting them to come and meet him in the valley. Come and meet me in the valley of decision, the valley of decision where I'm going to judge you. And you better bring all your warriors, your strongest ones. You better even bring your weak ones. He says, you better take all your, 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 your plows and your tools and turn them into spears because you're going to need them. Come out and fight me. He says, meet me in the valley. It's a joke though, right? Because whatever they can bring is not going to be enough. Just like whatever we can bring is not enough to make to, to fix death or sin. Right? It's never going to be enough. God is, God is the only one who can conquer those things. Eventually we're all going to be judged, just like these nations that he called out into the valley. He's going to judge them just and everybody. The only ones who will be spared from the judgment are those who are His children. The ones He seeks to save. The ones He chooses to save. The ones He calls. The ones He calls. It comes down to us, just like the Muslim guys who attended the weekend. Will we be offended by our sin? Or will we look to justify our sin on judgment day? Will we come brokenhearted, you know, and lay down our weapons, our weapons of unforgiveness, of anger, of revenge? Or will we come before God? God, I, I was a really good person. I was better than most. Philippians 2.10 and 11, and I'll close with this. <clears throat> On that day, the day of the Lord, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Advent is a season of time, of waiting. Of waiting in the sense of active waiting. Just like your waiter at a restaurant is waiting, but he's busy. She's busy. Right? That's the waiting work to take during Advent. How will you spend Advent? No matter what, how you have or have not responded to grace, Advent tells you, tells us, 
that there is still time. There is still time. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your saving love. We thank you, God, that no matter if we've we've known you for our, our whole lives, if we've been coming to church our whole life and never known you, really, we're just here today and we're hearing a word of hope. For the first time, you're cutting through the noise in our own head. There's hope. There's hope for us. As we live our lives for you, to you, and from you. I ask you, Lord, that as we we continue in worship today and we share in Holy Communion together, God, that, that you'd reveal yourself to us. That you'd speak to us right where we are. That you'd show us yourself. You'd show us even a glimpse of of how offensive our sin is to you. The thing that we feel like we've got hidden in the dark so nobody can see. Help us to see it like you do. And then, oh Lord, I ask you just to overwhelm them with an awareness of your love for us. God, because your love is greater than any sin, your love is greater. And you love us in spite of our mistakes, our failures, shortcomings. You love us because of them. Couldn't do it without you. We love you. We thank you. Amen. So when we share in Holy Communion together, uh, you don't even be a member of the Methodist Church, this church. Uh, This is God's offer of a relationship with you, His offer of grace to you. Uh, All it takes is to repent of your sin, just like we've been talking about, and want to grow into a relationship with Him. The table's open. It's it's His table for you. I would ask you, if you would, to to join me with the responses. I believe they'll be on the screen.